0: To Psalm 139, and as you're doing that, just a reminder: the Our Daily Breads for those of you somehow or the other this month they got mixed up. Uh, They are not here they will we are promised that they will be here within the next couple of weeks So maybe you need to go back and take some of your favorites from the past and redo them If that use our daily bread every week for or every day for your devotions Just want to remind you that we didn't forget. It's just a goof up in the mail or something. We don't know exactly what it is We've been looking at a number of things There's not a single person here that doesn't want to know and doesn't desire to know that their life counts. There's not a person here that doesn't want to, know, want, want to know that they have a place in life, a place they fit, a place they can call their own. There's not a person here that was, doesn't want to know that their life makes a difference, that they can not fear that they don't matter. We want to know that we are somebody, someone, sometime, somewhere. We really have a desire to matter. We've been looking at the subject of fear. And we know that fear acted upon in the wrong direction takes us downhill. It cripples. It ruins our lives. It hinders us in everything we do. This morning, the de- goal, the desire, is to give you information from the Word of God and in a practical way that when you leave here, you leave here with courage, not fear. You leave here with information that helps you to make right decisions, but most of all, that in your heart and in your mind and in your emotions, in every part of you, you know that you don't have to fear living this life as someone who doesn't matter, that God has created you someone special, that indeed you are special to God, indeed that this is not a life of nothingness. And end it with this, that indeed God makes it very clear, you're his craftsmanship, you're his workmanship, you are his masterpiece. Notice the emphasis is not on you. It's not on the relationships of this life. But it's on a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's on who God is and what he has chosen to do. With that as a background, let's look at what he says in Psalm 139. He tells us that he knows our every thought. And if you would follow along you will see that God is the one who has made us from the very beginning. We're somebody special. In Psalm one, uh, Psalm 139, verse 1, it says this, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. Thou dost understand my thoughts from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path, my lying down. Thou art intimately... Acquainted with all my ways. Even before there was a word on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, thou didst know it. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before. Thou hast laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. God is omniscient. He knows everything. Notice, he knows the words you're going to say before you say the words. He's not making you say them. He is just simply telling us he is God Almighty. He knows absolutely everything. And think about this. Even though he knows absolutely everything about you, he still loves you. I'll tell you what, if I knew, if no, let's put it the other way. If you knew everything about me, I don't think you would love me. In fact is you might downright despise me. Oh, by the way, just in case you're thinking it's only me, you know those dark, deep secrets in your life, the baggage you carry, the things that you do when no one else is looking. You know what? God knows every single little tiny thing about you, and you still matter to Him because you're still somebody special to Him. That's how much He loves us. If you don't hear anything else from this sermon, take that home with you. This week, I had the privilege. I was watching TV, and I heard... They said uh, an a, a Iraqi war veteran was going to be on the, the news program. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to hear what it says. And the next thing I know, I'm appalled. Here's a young man who took 11 bullets in one firefight, almost lost the use of his legs, spent two years in rehab, and he is now a freshman in college. They had a roundtable discussion about ROTC on campus or something like that, and he used his amendment rights to speak up. All he said was this, quote, It doesn't matter what you feel about war. It doesn't matter how you feel about fighting. There are bad men out there plotting to kill you. When he said that, the students start jeering him, laughing at him, making fun of him, calling him, A racist. Here's a man who had fought to make sure those bad guys stay away so college students could speak their mind. And they're jeering him. Here's a person who put his life on the line. Whether you agreed with the war or not is irrelevant at this point. He put his life on the line to make sure that bad people are held at bay so others can have the right to free speech and other things like that, to worship freely. And they're jeering, laughing at him, making fun of him. You say, well, that's the end of the story. But they interviewed him. And I've got, I don't know this guy from Adam. All I know is he, they said, how'd you feel about that? He says, I fought so they could have the right to make those statements. Now, I got to tell you, that guy had guts. You know what? I think he knew he mattered, whether you agree with him or not. He knew who he was. He knew what he had done and why he had done it. I have to tell you, God knows us, and he still loves us. We matter to him. Whether you think you matter or not is irrelevant. We saw a few skits up here. Whether somebody told you you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything, and I'll bet if I—I'm not doing this, but if I ask you to put up your hands— All of you, or maybe most of you, at some time or the other had someone who was close enough to you that it mattered, tell you you're worthless, you blew it, who are you, who do you think you are? God says you matter. He loves you in spite of everything that He knows about you. But the second thing this morning, if you would continue with me in verse 7, it says, where can I go from thy spirit? Where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you're already there. If I take the winds of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. And then he goes on to say, Surely the darkness will overwhelm and the light around me will be night. And verse 12 says, even the darkness is not dark to thee. I don't understand. That sounds like a contradiction. I mean, the darkness is light? It doesn't make any sense, except it goes on to say, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are like to thee. The God who sees everything, he knows everything. He's omniscient. The God who is everywhere all the time. He still loves you. You're still somebody special to him, regardless of your job circumstance, regardless of your marriage, regardless if you got rebellious kids, regardless if the neighbors all hate you, regardless of, I don't care, put anything in there you want, what somebody has said, what somebody has done, what they think of you or even what you think of yourself. God says you still matter. We do not have to go through this life fearing that our life doesn't count. We do matter to God. You are somebody special to Him. If it stopped there, that would be great. But God goes on. Because if you'll follow with me in verse 13, He knew us before our birth. He's the one that actually put us together. He's very clear about that. We've looked at this passage before on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And it's a great passage for that. But it's even bigger than Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because here it emphasizes the power of God because we didn't make ourselves. Verse 13 says, For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. Think of someone knitting. Knitting doesn't happen on its own. Somebody has to do it. God says, I'm the one that knitted you together. I'm the one that put the fabric of your life together before you were even born. Verse 14 says, I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully, awesomely, the word we are looking at for these series, I am awesomely made, but I'm also wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame is not hidden from thee. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth, Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. I don't know what you believed when you came in here today, but I hope you leave knowing this, that life begins at conception. I can prove that from this verse. It says, before you were recognizable as a human being, before anybody ever saw you, when you were, as many people say, a little ball of cells, God already was doing the work. In fact, as he knew all your days before there was even one day. So whether you can agree on the exact time of conception and exactly the microsecond that happens, all that I know is in less than one day, he's saying God is doing the work. And I believe from the very beginning, he's the one that puts us together. And before there is one cell, cell division, he's the one doing the knitting. He's the one doing the awesome, wonderful work that is you. You may think you're nobody. You may think you don't matter. You may think nobody cares. But I'm telling you from the very first cell, from the moment of conception, God has been working and making you who you are. You do matter to God. doesn't matter what I think. doesn't even matter what you think. And it absolutely doesn't matter what the rest of the world thinks about you. You matter to God because he made you. An all-powerful God made you. And he's not backing down on his word. He said it. He means it. I'm just encouraging you to believe it. Because I want you to leave here knowing you don't have to live in fear of not mattering in this world. Your life does count. It means something. You You are making a difference whether you know it at this point or not. But there's one last thing in this passage that I'd like to look at. Look at verse 17, please. God is thinking of us at all times. I, I, I appreciate people like Susan coming up here and reminding us to pray for our missionaries. And I hope you pray for your pastor because he needs it badly. But you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think of missionaries 24 hours a day or 16 hours a day. And to my shame and guilt, sometimes not hardly at all. And you know what? I'll pray for you too, but I can't tell you that I think about you all the time. But listen to what God says about you. Look at verse 17. How precious also are thy thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I'm still with thee. God is the one that's superintending, thinking about our lives at all times, whether we're awake or asleep, He is thinking of you. That's a life that's valuable and precious. That's a life that matters. Why? Because God said so. That's all that really matters. The only thing left in that equation is, do I really believe it, do I practice, that God is the one that has made me someone special, that I really do matter because God made me, God said it, that's all that matters. But a lot of times, we allow the things of this world to crowd that out, and then we start thinking we don't matter. We're really not somebody special. There is nobody like me, and you better be glad you're not like me because you wouldn't want to be me. But you know what? I'm going to tell you, I like my life. It's the only one I got, and I take God at his word. And yes, he said, I matter. I'm somebody special. And I pray that before you leave here today, you have made that decision in your mind and in your heart that I believe God. I am somebody special. And we could stop there and we could close the sermon, but we're not going to do that because we don't need to fear a life of nothingness. What do I mean by that? if you would and you're not going to have time to turn to all of these but Hebrews chapter 2 starting in verse 5 the, the writer quotes the old testament he quote quotes psalm 8 and it's talking about man and God's creation of man and how he fits in this whole thing and it says this for he did not subject angels uh, I'm sorry for he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking But one has testified, and that's from Psalm 8, saying, What is man that thou art remembering him? Or the son of man that thou art concerned about him? Thou hast made him for a little while lower than the angels. Sinful man indeed is lower than the good angels, the chosen angels. Because we're sinful. We're separated from God. But he doesn't stop there. Because even speaking of unredeemed man, he makes the next statements that indeed we are the highest of creation. He says he has crowned us. The word "crowned" here is not a king crown, but a Stephanos, which is the crown of victory. It was not because the crown was made of gold or silver and encrusted with precious gems and those types of things. It was made of a tree branch but it represented something. It represented the athlete who won the boxing match or the wrestling match or won the race or threw the discus or the javelin the farthest. It symbolized something. It said, this person is the pinnacle. This is the highest in the sport. He's the victor. And then he goes on to say something that I have struggled with for years. Because when you use words like glory and honor... We immediately go, that belongs to God. You're absolutely right. It belongs to Jesus Christ. You're absolutely right. But God's opinion is that it also applies in a lesser way, of course, to us. That's exactly what it says in Psalm 8, and that's what it says in Hebrews chapter 2. It says, thou hast crowned him with glory. Glory is that which comes from a good reputation, from honor. It means to make, to shine, to be brilliant. Here's what it comes down to. You are, as a human being, you as an individual, are the crowning of God's creation. Look in the Old Testament, you were made last. He kept the best for last, and he created man not like any of the rest of the creation. I am in awe when I look in the sky and see it full of stars or the other week when the moon was just fully bright. I mean, it lit everything up with the snow out. I'm in awe of that. And when the summertime, when it's really hot out and you just walk out of the shade and that sun's like almost hitting you, you go, wow, you know, that's awesome. But God doesn't say that the planets and the stars and the sun and all those things are the pinnacle of his creation. He says, you are the shining glory of his creation. And we can look around and we can, we can love to see animals and how they interact. And he doesn't say the animals are the epitome either. He doesn't even say the angels are the epitome. He says, we are the ones that are crowned with glory. But he doesn't stop there. Got ahead of myself. He doesn't stop there because he says, I've crowned you with glory and honor. The word honor always has to do with something that's valuable or precious. To God, we are the most precious thing that he has ever created. I'm going to tell you right now, if I was God, I'm going to start with me, and then I'll just include you, is I would be really appalled at what I made (laughs) because of what we've done. But that's not the way he looks at it. He's not talking about the greatest saints in the world. He's not even talking about believers at this point. He's just saying man. Man is the epitome of his creation. Man is the highest, the most valuable of all his creation. That's what he says about you. That's what he says about me. That's what he says about all mankind. See, we don't need to fear not mattering because God has decreed it and showed it that we do indeed matter. Our life is valuable. We don't have to fear nothingness. You may have said, I started out to be that star baseball player and I blew the catch. You might have. You know what? It doesn't mean that you mean nothing, that you have a life of nothingness because God's Plan for you is much bigger than can I catch a baseball? Or much bigger than that high paying job that you lost, or let's go down the list. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. Our relationship with Him is much more valuable. What He says about me is much more valuable than any other single thing and all of them put together in this whole world. I do not have to fear a life of nothingness because I am the most valuable, the most glorious, the most brilliant of God's creation. That's not bragging. I'm just repeating what God has said. And then he goes on to say one more thing that we know from way back before sin even entered the world. You realize that God gave man a task to do long before sin. A lot of times we, we look at work and we say, well, if man wouldn't have sinned, I wouldn't have to bust my back every week and to get a paycheck Well, you may not have busted your back, but before sin even entered, God gave Adam and Eve responsibilities to carry out. He appointed them to govern his creation. Can you imagine that? If you were God, would you do that? Give over your creation to human beings to govern. Rule over it. I have to tell you, God's a great God because I wouldn't have done that. But why did he do it? He wanted us to have a sense of purpose. He wanted us to matter. He didn't want us to go through life feeling like we're nothing. He gave us something to do even before sin came into the world. The hard part of work came after sin. That's where the thorns and thistles came and the sweat of your brow and all the other stuff that goes with that. But he has appointed man over the works of his hands. And he wants all things to be in subjection to him. Of course, that hasn't happened. And ultimately, it will eventually happen only when everything is subject to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're a part of who and what he is, uh, his family, and what he is doing. But we were indeed created to rule the world. That's what God said, that was the original thing that he told them to do. We're also valuable because of our relationship with God. We are His children. Gina mentioned a verse that says you're more valuable than many sparrows. He knows the hairs of your head. I got to tell you, if you want to know how many hairs I got on my head, you've got to Fairly easy job. Joe Federhoff would be better yet, but uh, he's not here. But y- you know what? The point is, it wouldn't be hard, but some of you actually got a head of hair left. And then you put billions of people in there. He knows every single hair in your head, and he knows when it falls out. You know what? I do- don't take this personally, but I don't care that much about you. <laughs> and you don't care that much about me either. But he does. That's the cool thing. That's the thing that matters. He knows everything about us. His relationship with us is more important. We have relationships and if something goes wrong, we have a a spat, we disagree, we kind of don't talk to each other and we back off and it ruins marriages, it ruins friendships, it ruins jobs, it ruins churches. It goes all through. That's not the way God treats us he treats us like a sparrow. He says, five sparrows for two pennies. And he knows when every one of them falls. And he knows when every hair falls out. He knows that. Our relationship with him is one that says we could never be nothingness. But I have one last main point today, and then we're going to have to bring this to a close. By the way, tonight I have a small group here that we deal with this same topic just like the other small groups. And tonight we're going to look at how I know that I'm valuable. And there are three ways. I'll probably just tweak them real quickly in the sermon this morning because I'm running out of time. But tonight we'll look at them in detail. But we are indeed God's masterpiece. God's masterpiece. I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of those chapters that is just like, well, most of the Bible. It's just loaded. It starts out by telling us we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're separated from God. We walk and have walked in the way of the world. We're disobedient. We're all of those things. We indulge the desires of the flesh and the mind. We're the children of wrath. We deserve his judgment and his fire. We deserve all of those things. That's where it starts out. But praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It doesn't stop there. But verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead, separated in our transgressions. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You realize that not only are you glorious and valuable, honorable, and given a position of authority just because you're human, just because you were created by God and he commanded it? He says, and now we'll go beyond that. Not only creation, but recreation in Christ. When you were dead and your trespasses and sin, he had no reason to love us, but he loved us. Why? Because he chose to. You see, when it says, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, it doesn't say, and you were so valuable that God decided to send Jesus Christ to die for you. It doesn't say that at all. It simply says this. You had a problem. You were dead. Your trespasses and sins. You were sinners. And He sent Christ to die for you. It's value added. Value added. See, I wasn't that valuable other than what God has already said. But I had separated myself from God. And he came to me and added the value. So how do I know I'm valuable? He gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to take on a body, die on a cruel Roman cross, shed his blood, die, be separated from God the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To die for my sins. That makes me valuable. He proved it. He didn't just say it. He didn't say, I love you, or you're valuable, uh, or you're great, or you're my masterpiece, or you're my workmanship on the basis of nothing. He based it on what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's ultimately what it comes down to. A lot of other things in here, but it goes on in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 2. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice, all of these things are in Christ Jesus. It's not on us. It's on Jesus Christ, this last masterpiece thing. And then it goes on to say, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We were made glorious and honorable because He created us. We are valuable. We are somebody special because He created us. But in recreation in Christ, we are even above that yet. If you claim the name of Christ and you claim to be born again and that Christ has saved you, your sins are forgiven, heaven is your home, you have a life that's worth living here and now. Why? Because he says, you're my workmanship. You're my masterpiece. And I want to continue working even in a way above and beyond anything we can even imagine. And that's what he wants to do in all of our lives. We have a status before God, not simply because of our creation, which itself is great, but because of the work of Christ and our accepting Christ as our Savior, we have a status that's even different yet. It's not something I can brag about. It's not something I deserved. It's a gift, grace. It's an act of faith. I'm trusting him. He's done it. It's there. We can accept it or we can reject it. That part is not like the first two points because those are true regardless. This one is based on my choice to trust Christ or reject Him. You realize that no one goes to hell just because they were born, they go because they have rejected Jesus Christ and His work. That's why. That's it. We have a choice. I hope you leave here today saying, I'm valuable. I'm somebody. I don't have to have a life that means nothing. Because God created me. I'm somebody special. But I pray that you would not leave here without knowing for sure that Christ is your Savior. Because it says here, we become his masterpiece. The one that he has fashioned, not simply in creation, but recreation. We didn't deserve either one. But he's done it for us. The second one's a choice you have to make. We could never do works to get to heaven. That's an impossibility because you have to please a perfect God. But he has done everything to please himself. He sent Christ, God in the flesh, to die on our behalf that our sin could be forgiven. The price is already paid. Will you make the choice to trust him? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish the result of sin, but have everlasting life. Whoever believes in him. That's a challenge today. I don't have to go through this life, for that matter, all eternity, fearing that I don't matter, that my life didn't make a difference, that I don't have something of value in me. He created you. You're somebody special. He wants to work in your life. You have something to offer. Not nothingness, but something. You're different than me and I'm different than you. But we all have what God has given us in our lives. And then the last one. We can know that we don't have to live here and now or for all eternity not mattering. We don't have to fear that. You don't have to have a fear. What's going to happen to me when I die? Does it really matter what I did? The answer is the only thing that matters is, have I trusted Christ or have I rejected Christ? That's really what it comes down to. I ask you to stand up. And we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you in your own heart, standing right there. Have you trusted Christ? If if you're not sure, the devil wants you to make sure that you don't know. From what I can tell in the Bible, trusting Christ is a no-so thing. I can know for sure. The devil wants you to be, well, I'm not sure, I hope so. Not God. He wants you to know for sure. The way I say it, if you're not sure, make sure. Because it's an act of faith. Nobody can do it for you, and God won't force it on you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that's what he wants you to know let's pray together father i thank you that we could be encouraged and challenged by the truths of the word of god we've we've thrown a whole lot of things in here lord a whole lot of principles some of them overlapping and some of them very different from each other but lord bottom line is you're our creator and you're the one that sent christ to die for us he's our savior. And Lord, the first two points are just true because of who you are and what you've said. But the third point is because we've accepted for ourselves what you've already done for us. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone here this morning that does not know that Christ is their savior, they're not sure they're born again, they're not sure they're going to heaven or their sins are forgiven, They know that they don't have a life that matters. The fact is, they live in a lot of fear of not mattering, of not having any any impact whatsoever in this world. Lord, I pray that they would recognize that Christ alone is the one that died for them. Christ alone is the one that can give them a life that matters, a life that can be lived with fear as a conquered enemy. And, Lord, I just pray that in the quietness of this moment in their own hearts, that they would do business with you and trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin for their life. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go with God.